Hey guys, how's it going? Sunny D here. Thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. On this episode you're about to listen to, we're continuing our story time series and we're going to start digging into one of my favorite companies of all time, Apple. Uh, You're probably listening to this podcast on an Apple device, maybe utilizing Apple Podcasts, maybe utilizing Apple AirPods, maybe you found this on an Apple you know, in a search powered by a Safari browser. There's so many ways that Apple's integrated into our lives and it all started um, with a visionary by the name of Steve Jobs. So on these, this next series and these episodes, we're gonna dig into Steve Jobs, his life, his past, and get some insight into the man behind the computer, the man behind the iPhone, the man behind the Macintosh. So I'm excited for you guys to hear this uh, super inspiring story and introduction to Steve Jobs. And I'm reading from the incredible book by Walter Isaacson, who wrote uh, biographies on many, many legendary people, Einstein, Ben Franklin, Leonardo da Vinci, and now Steve Jobs. So you guys, I think will enjoy this. Can't wait to hear your feedback. And now let's get into the podcast. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Good morning, how's everybody doing this morning? Hopefully you guys are doing good. We're now live, it's time, it's time, it's story time. Story time Tuesday, Tuesday morning, here we go. Good morning if you're just getting logged on, just getting logged in. Welcome to story time. I'm your host, Sunny D, excited to be back with you guys. Excited to dig into some new inspiring stories today on Storytime. If this is your first time joining me for Storytime, welcome. This is something that I do mornings, come to you guys, do a live broadcast, stream, recording, podcast, all of the above. And my goal with Storytime is really to share some inspiring stories, um, share a little bit of my journey, share some of the things that I've been inspired by by studying up on some of these stories, these people, these amazing companies, these um, really just, uh, I think, you know, a motivating journey is one that um, it gets recorded in the future and it's one that really inspires you maybe to do something in your own journey. And that's where a lot of uh, people end up finding themselves, you know, when they when they take those leaps, they take those 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 uh, steps, those chances, those risks, they find themselves having been motivated or inspired or pushed by something. And I know I have over the years, um, looking into my library, I picked out some of the uh, most inspiring stories that I found in my library studying as a business owner, as a um, as an entrepreneur, being able to have everything written down, you know, having history on some of these companies is something that could easily be taken for granted, but something that I would definitely, um, hopefully encourage all of you not to. Because if you wanna do something special with your life, you wanna do something special with your business, you wanna do something special, um, special, what's going on, how's it going? Um, You wanna do something special in the world, you know, there will be people that have done things and it may not be the same thing you're trying to do, in some of the businesses that we looked at, we looked at you know McDonald's, we looked at Ritz Carlton, we went through Starbucks, 
you may never want to start a fast food restaurant. You may never want to start a a coffee shop. You may never want to start, you know, a hotel chain. You may never want to start any of those companies, but definitely being able to be inspired and being able to be motivated by those companies and seeing like what's really possible if you put your mind, if you put your heart, if you put your um, energy, if you're willing to roll up your sleeves and go after it and do it, you can see what's really possible. And that's a big reason why I wanted to you know, do story time just to share because I know a lot of people um, that follow me, a lot of people that I connect with, everyone's looking for like, away everyone's looking for like some hope everyone's especially right now you know the world is um as i say on tilt it's like the world is like uh you know those snow globes and it got it got picked up a few months ago and got shaken vigorously and it's kind of crazy right now from coronavirus um to what's been going on with the protest and and people that have you know came into um came into our world and people's worlds that we've gone into, you know, it's it's been it's been definitely a challenging time around the world. Um, so we are still looking for for hope. You know, you're meeting people, you're having interactions with people, especially online, because you can meet people and you can see stuff. I mean, news travels so fast. You know, you see everybody's got a phone, everybody's got a camera. And next thing you know, um, we're able to connect the world, um, and that's a big part of you know, technology and growth of us as a people. But with that, the world's never been more exposed than it is right now. So it doesn't take much for you to look around and see, you know, what is um, what is happening. And, and I shared, you know, when we went through and I was covering some um, different topics a couple weeks ago and I talked about, you know, media you know, there's always going to be lots of media out there. You're a media company. I'm a media company. We all have the ability to create media. And so there's a lot of messaging going on. And so right now, I think everybody in the environment that we're living in, everybody is looking for some like sliver or some, you know, a little bit of like um, hope and encouragement. I mean, the world, I believe, still inherently is a good place. Um, there's definitely evil that exists. There's de there's never going to be, it's not, you know, utopia. There's not going to be rainbows and unicorns. That's just not a reality. The world will always have strife. There will always be conflict. Um, that's the way that it has been and always will be. But in and all that, um, if you look for something, you tend to find it. You know, if you look for problems, you will find them. If you look for hope, you will find them. If you look for change, um, you will find them. And as Mahatma Gandhi said, you know, be the change in the world that you, you know, be the change that you want to see, you know, so you want to, you want to see this change in the world, you start, it starts with you. And so through a lot of these stories, I've been inspired, you know, not only to start a company, to start another company, to start multiple companies, but I've been inspired to write books. I've been inspired to speak and share. I've been inspired to travel. I've been inspired um, to try new things um, because when you think you're doing something and you think like, you know, your back's against the wall and this is impossible for you to get done, what you find is that someone else has already probably done it. Um, they've probably done it more than once. And if they did it, then you can do it. You know, last week I was taking you guys down my journey and my my education goal of of going and graduating from Harvard University, which I'm pursuing now. 
and that was something that was a dream and was like a fantasy almost and I never was like really considering could I really do it but then I'm like you know what as I'm looking around and I'm seeing you know, other people have done it so why can't I do it and so hopefully as we're you know getting into these different stories I'm, I'm able to bring you just some of those like slivers of hope some of those slivers of um, possibility some of those slivers of potential that might get you motivated and you know maybe get outside of your comfort zone maybe try some things you never um, thought of trying before you know whether it be a small thing you know whether it be a huge thing whether it be a world shifting thing and we're going to talk about a world shifting uh, person as we go through this week and the story that I'm going to share but whatever that thing is you know hopefully through some of these inspiring people you may find you know you may find the courage um, you may find the um, you may even call it audacity right you know and I think you think about trying to do something you're gonna start a company and you tell people and it's like you they think like you're gonna do this like how you know you we have the audacity to think that you can actually pull this off you know and a lot of times that's the way we're, we're met we're met with not a lot of people like yeah I believe in you you can do it um, go for it where a lot of times we're met with people that you know, are doubting because what do they have to go off of? If you've never done something before and all of a sudden you come to your family and you're like, you know what, I'm gonna build this company and X, Y, Z and we're gonna sell this, that and the other and, and they're gonna look at your past, right? And they're gonna see you've never done this before. So then they're gonna think, well, the odds of you pulling it off are slim to none and you may not get the kind of support that you need, right? But if anyone else has ever done anything, right, that's even similar, then that already gives you the support. That already gives you a clue that yes, you too could pull this off. And when you, you know, when you hear like these stories that I've been sharing, um, they're all riddled with, you know, ups, downs, hills, and valleys. And that's like life, right? You're either you're either in the valley or you're on the hill. You're either on the up or you're on the down. And sometimes the down is a lot, you know, a lot further down than you think. You know, sometimes you think, well, you hit rock bottom and you find out there's a whole nother level below rock bottom that you could actually hit. Um, you could fall below bottom. And so you're going to be at somewhere um, on that cycle at all times. And so when you're up, people are going to be like, oh, I knew you had it. I knew you could do it. <clears throat> when you're down, you know, people aren't going to be necessarily you know, putting their hand down to try to pull you up. So you have to think about that. So where do you go, right? You go and you look and you look for clues. And, you know, becoming a becoming an avid studier of history and business and um, companies, you know, I became really that, that uh, interest really came because I was looking for clues. You know, I was starting my business and I'm like, you know, I don't know what the hell I'm doing, right? I'm like thinking to myself, like, is this even going to work? Everybody that I tell about my idea, they're like, yeah, that sounds interesting. But they didn't really give me like, oh, yeah, you're going to do this. This is going to be awesome. And so I started thinking and having doubts. And that's the thing. If you start having these doubts and those doubts start to, you know, gain real estate in your mind, and those doubts start to get watered by people, by society, by attempts, 
right? If you're trying to, you know, do something and you fall down and then you start to really, you start to water those doubts. You're like, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I'm not going to be able to do this. Uh, Maybe I can't do this. Maybe I should listen to what they're saying. And then you start watering those doubts. So what happens when that happens? You get those weeds, they grow, and then you say, you know what? I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm not even going to try it. And I've seen that happen. It's happened to me on certain things, and I've come back to it. And I'm like, you know what? And you guys, you got to... You have to give yourself a pep talk. Like you come, you, you know, you hang out with me for story time. I'm going to get you pumped up. It's going to be like an hour. You're going to be excited. You might be motivated. But what happens the other 23 hours of the day? What happens at hour number two? You know, this is hour one, hour three. You know, then hour four, you, you know, have some success. But then hour five, you get a phone call and everything just fell apart. And then hour six. So what happens those other hours? You know, but I'm telling you right now is I'm looking at, you know, all of these different amazing stories and that I'm going to be taking you guys through. There's lots of hours that are going to be better than the ones that are going to be worse. If you keep at it, though, the only way really you ultimately lose anything is if you give up or you quit. That's really the only way. So if you keep at it. You know, and it might be a lot longer. And I always tell people, like, if you think something's going to take 10 minutes, you know, plan on doing it for 30. You know, multiply it out two, three, four times as long because things always take longer than they seem, right? You know, you're looking at it, you're looking out in the distance and you have your target, you have your goal, you're on your way there. And you're like, I'm almost there. And then what happens? Oh, there's a yellow light, there's a red light, there's a coronavirus, there's a protest, there's a, all these different things, and they're going to delay your arrival time. You know, it's not as exact, you know, and you put your address, you put an address in Google Maps, and it tells you, okay, this is how long it's going to take you to get there. There's no guarantees, because all of a sudden, you're seeing that beautiful, you know, blue line, and then it turns yellow, it turns red, meaning there's a traffic, there's congestion ahead. There's always going to be different things that could pop up at any given time. So what do you do? You know, do you just turn around? Do you pull off the road? Do you just quit? Do you just take your keys out of your ignition, throw them out the window and say, you know what, I give up? What do you do? Right? Sometimes you're sitting in traffic a lot longer than you want. Um, And then as it starts to ease up and you start getting going and you're like, yeah, you're building your momentum, you're accelerating, you're accelerating, you're accelerating, you might hit some more traffic. But a lot of times, you know, it's it's not going to be just a direct route. You know, everyone was excited when everyone was quarantining. The people that when I opened back up in my business, I'm talking to people and they're like, yeah, you know, we're back um, working again. And and it was so nice because they were saying like they had to go places and there was like no traffic on the road and they could just get from point A to point B without any interruption. But that wasn't the reality. That's not like the real world. You know, the real world, there's, there are interruptions. And so when I like look at these stories and I share these stories, that's the big thing I think about. Like there's going to be interruptions and all of these individuals, the thing that separates them from the rest, the thing that separates, you know, the Starbucks founder, Howard Schultz, you know, Walmart. I'm just looking at all these different companies, uh, Patron, Coca-Cola, Apple, um, Ikea, uh, McDonald's, Richard Branson with Virgin, the gold standard the Ritz-Carlton Hotel Company, the thing that separates 
those people that started those companies and built those companies and built those brands and had those successes was that they accepted the fact that there was going to be slowdowns. They accepted the fact that there was going to be hiccups. They accepted the fact that they weren't going to be able to just go from point A to point B with no interruption. And they just kept going anyway. Even when they hit a snag. Even when they had a, a, a little uh, mishap. Even when their companies were on the brink of bankruptcy or going out of business completely. They just kept going. Because they believed that if they kept going, if they kept pursuing, that this was a worthy cause. So that's a big thing. You know, when you're trying to decide on uh, what you're going to do and why you're going to do it, what's going on, Jen? You've got you've to really think about it. Is, is it a worthy mission that you're on? You know, when I started the Salon 1.0 in 2008, I had this idea. 2009, actually, you know, started really forming the physical component, the company. It was like, is this a worthy mission? Is this a worthy vision? Is this a worthy goal? This one idea of being able to bring salons, you know, to the world, being able to take people that are, you know, 99% of our people come right out of school, you know, and help them build and start and launch a career. Is it a worthy cause? Because if it wasn't, you know, I would have gave up a long time ago. You know, now we're 10 years going on 11 years and it's a worthy cause still just as much as today as it was then. And that's the only way that you decide like to keep going. So all of these stories and these um, different companies and these people that I'm sharing, they all had the same thought. They had to. And you'll see as we go through some of these, they had that same thought. And that thought was, is this a worthy cause? Should I keep going? And why am I going to keep going? I mean, if it's not, people give up. I mean, we see companies come and go all the time. You know, we see people start and stop stuff all the time. Because there's a, there's a you know, you can call it a risk reward. You can call it a pain pleasure. You can call whatever you want to call it this threshold of is this worth it? Right, you started a diet, you started a workout, you started a book, you started a Netflix series, you started a you know, whatever. Is it worth it to finish and keep going with this thing? You know, the pain versus the pleasure, right? And in everything, it's like that. You started a school, you started a degree, you started a whatever project you're working on. Is it worth it? And so that's where we find all these people. So from the stories that we've gone through, the books that we've gone through so far, McDonald's, um, the Ritz-Carlton, we heard it in that story. Um, the Starbucks story, that, I mean, that one's so inspiring. You know, just thinking about how many times that company was out of business, gone, done, over. And then it just kept going. It's like, man, is it, is it, gonna, is it gonna close down? You know, and we would never have been hearing about this story, drinking the Starbucks. You know, think about it. And it almost was in, didn't exist. It almost didn't exist several times. So I put out a post uh, yesterday, and I had all of the different um, stories and the books that I that I pulled out of my library, so I could see what you guys were into or feeling like you wanted to go into next, what story you were interested in learning about next. And I got a lot of you know some people Coca Cola, Nordstrom was a popular one. Uh, from that picture, some people, Paul Mitchell, the Paul Mitchell story, you know it's coming. I mean, that's that's a given. I kind of share that story almost 
all the time. Um, and then there was uh, Apple. Apple was one of the most popular and requested ones. So I've got a few different books on the man, Steve Jobs, on the company, Apple. Um, this is probably one of my faves out of all of them. And there's a, it's kind of cool because you got a picture of him, one of his like, you know, later in life, you know, final picks, um, iconic image. And then you got another picture on the back of the young Steve Jobs um, with one of the very first, you know, computers there. Um, but this is one of my favorite ones because it's it's by Walter Isaacson. He's written bios on a lot of um, a lot of people like historical figures. I think he did Ben Franklin. He's done a ton. If you look him up, Walter Isaacson, you'll find you'll find a ton of different people that he's done you know books on. And I mean, there's some really really cool images. He had unprecedented access to Steve Jobs throughout his life, not just you know at the end of his life. Um, but throughout his entire life. And so I want to share this story and, and share some of the really cool things that I learned um, in reading this and just about the company itself. And this is another one of those stories where, I mean, there's so many twists and turns. Like there's so many, there's so many times when it was like, man, Apple almost didn't exist. And when we think about it now, it's like you couldn't imagine the world without it. I mean, I'm just like looking around my studio right now and I'm looking at, I'm actively using one, two, three, four different Apple devices actively using right now to record this, to stream it, to podcast record it, to video, um, to Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, actively. I'm using four devices. If I look even a little bit more around the room, I see another one, two, three, four, five devices. And I'm just thinking like, what would the world be without this company? I think it fundamentally would be different because it wasn't really, I don't think the devices, yes, we use them, and I mean, I think of all of my businesses, salons, we use at least two or three different devices in every salon um, from we're running our business on them to our stylists using them. But I just think like, what would the world be without this company? And it's not like the technology, the devices, yes, but it's what they give us the ability to do, what they give us the ability to discover, what they give us the ability to create. Um, this company fundamentally, I think, changed and is continuing to change the world. And it, it, you know, it all started with this guy right here. I mean, he had a couple partners. I'm gonna give you a brief little history, um, and then we're gonna share a couple stories here. Um, but like, fundamentally, shifted the way the world works. Not only for them as a company, like them growing their own products. You know, the iPads, the iPhones, the Macs, the MacBooks, all those. But even other companies, it shifted the way other companies did their business. It shifted the way other companies thought about their business. It shifted the way other companies approached their business. So it not only changed the world and changed, you know, our everyday life, it actually fundamentally created an environment that shifted the overall, uh, I guess you could say the overall conversation on technology, 
the overall way people approach building their products, the overall way that we communicate with each other, it literally shifted, I mean, everything. And so I look at this um, company and I've got, if you guys are on Instagram, you may not see this, but if you're on uh, Facebook watching, I've got this iconic, and you may have saw it for a second at the beginning of the stream, but I got this iconic, you know, looking, you know, building. It looks like a museum uh, behind me here. And this is one of the many um, Apple retail stores. And it's just one of those places that where you go, you just, I mean, you feel like when you go to one of these stores, you almost feel like um, you're, you're uh, entering the future, right? You, just the way that they're presented, the experience that you have there, playing with the devices. It's just one of those places I like to go. And I'm not, you know, going to shop most of the time. I'm just going to hang out and just kind of see what's going on. And I mean, it's just, it's an inspiring place to be because you just feel like, you know, you know, like the, the things that are in there are part of the future and they're people that are creating them are thinking forward and they're visionaries. Um, so it's always, it's always a good time to, to go in there. And one of the, see halt and catch fire okay I'm gonna check that out I'm gonna write that down um, one of the things you know when you look into the history of Apple and you think of like this company almost didn't exist you can't imagine it now because it is such a uh, success story it's so profitable it's they make a shitload of money um, so it's like to think like wow that company was almost gone non-existent out of business bankrupt Right, one of the most iconic, successful companies in the world, almost gone bankrupt, not going to be around anymore, but still here. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the company. When you look at this company, Apple, I mean, it's been around, you know, most of our our lives. If you're if you're younger, I mean, you've grown up with it. You never knew of anything else. I mean, it started in the early mid '70s. Um, with a couple guys tinkering around in a garage. You had Steve Jobs, and then there's also Waz um, is his, uh, his kind of a nickname. He goes by Waz, but his actual name is Steve Wozniak. And then there's uh, Ronald Wayne, which you don't hear too much about. Still hear a little bit about Wozniak. Um, he's still you know alive, and he was one of the, the other guys that was in that garage at Steve's parents' house tinkering around with electronics and trying to build something. And I mean, they're Cupertino, California. That's where their headquarters is at. And if you ever see a picture of their headquarters, it looks like a, I don't know, it looks like a UFO. It's like this giant like circle uh, from the sky. It looks like a UFO just like landed right there. Um, but it's in Cupertino, California. It's called Apple Park. That's the, uh, the name for it. It is a publicly traded company. So you know every every company that I'm going through, I've been sharing a little bit. If you if you love use and and like you know like the company, right? If you you love what they are about, you use their products. Um, you could become an owner of Apple because it's a publicly traded company. You could buy stock in Apple. Um, you could buy every I mean a, an actual full share, or you can which is you know, a slice, a little slice, you came in by a fraction of a fraction of a share, which I talked a lot about with you guys about fractional shares, um, different investment tools like Cash App. You can use the Cash App 
to buy fractional shares. I think Robinhood, they have fractional shares you can buy. So if you're not able to you know, buy an actual full share, because right now, what is Apple trading for? That's probably uh, quite a bit. Um, but you could buy a fractional share of the company and become an owner. You know, and what does that get you? You know, that gets you, um, you could benefit financially. So the success of Apple, you know, helps grow your um, investment as well. But they are publicly traded. So they're available. They're traded on the NASDAQ. So you can check that out. Um, they, you know, started 44 years ago. So think about that. Most of these companies, I mean, I think right now the of the ones we've gone over, the Ritz-Carlton was like the oldest um, 40 Four years ago for Apple, I think Starbucks was like 40 plus years ago. Um, so I think that's you know interesting to see like how long this company's been around and what we see them doing today. And thinking about if you were even alive, you know I wasn't even alive when they started this company, and I really didn't. I was a late adopter. Like I didn't grow up like oh you know like iPhone. Like I didn't even get an iPhone probably until I would say you know 10. 10 or so years ago and I think it came out in the like 2005 six seven somewhere around there and I, I was a late adopter you know so I didn't really um, but once I got it because it's like what's all the hype about what's everyone's this iPhone like what's a big deal and once I got it I was like oh okay I get it I see what the big deal is I mean it's just it's the way to go um, so right now they have a couple things they have their retail stores so they've got uh, 510 retail stores all over the world. Um, that's as late as 2020 stats. Um, it's a 44-year-old company. The current CEO is Tim Cook. He took over after, unfortunately, Steve Jobs uh, passed away. And then um, products-wise, I mean, they have everything from the iPhones, which everybody knows. Um, they've got the iPods. They've got the Apple Watch. I forgot I didn't count this one, so that's five. One, two, three, four, five that I'm using currently. <laughs> um, call it an addiction, maybe. Um, they've got the HomePod, which eh, hasn't really taken off. I personally don't have one, um, but I haven't really. I mean, it still is out there. It's kind of like a, you know, you know, a sound device that you could have in your house, like the um, ones we know, the Googles and the Alexas and those devices. They. Um, you can play things. You can run your smart home on it. So they have that HomePod. They've also got the, uh, what else? Hardware-wise. See, the watch, the phone, iPads, iPad minis. Um, their, you know, iMacs. And then they've got, like, the souped-up hardcore. If you're a hardcore computer person, they've got the, uh, the Mac, the Macintosh which is like, you know, all of the, a lot of the creatives use them. So people that are creating movies and Disney and Pixar and all those animations and they use, you know, those ones. And then they've also started to diversify over the past few years uh, to become almost like a, a little bit of a, you know, they have products, but also becoming services. So doing more subscription type stuff like their music. I mean, and they give you the Apple TV right now if you get a phone, you get like a free year subscription to like Apple Plus, you know, which is like they have original content. So they've gotten into that like kind of like a Netflix slash like Amazon slash 
I, who else does it? Hulu. So they've gotten into that. And I'm going to tell you right now, their shows are good. I was like watching a couple of them and I'm like, damn, these are really good. And, they, and they're like addictive. I've watched almost all of them now. So they've gotten into that. They've gotten into, um, they have their card, their credit card, a little titanium Apple card you can get. So they've gotten into like multiple different businesses around what they first started with. Their core product was a computer. Then, you know, with the iPod, the iPad, the iPhone, and that whole iSeries, um, but they've expanded into so much more music. They were always huge into music because Steve was really big in the music, and you'll hear a lot about that. Um, and then you've got their stores. You know, their stores are huge, um, which I found a really cool about thing about their stores is like they don't get commission on sales of products and stuff. Really, the people that are in there, the employees that are in there, their goal is to help answer questions, help you discover products. Um, but it's not like they're trying to sell you stuff. So when you go in there, you don't feel like that pressure of like a salesperson because I, I didn't know this and I don't know if it's still true. But, you know, when I found it out a few years back, I was like talking to one of the associates and I'm like, yeah, like, do you guys get paid commission on sales? They're like, no, like we're not here to sell. We're here to help educate. And I was like, I like that. You know, that's kind of like our company. I was telling them, our stylist. I mean, when we have products and services that are sold, it's not because we sold them or we're trying to sell them. It's because we educated our guests on the products, on the services, which resulted in the sale. So I thought that was pretty cool. Um, Revenue-wise, company's ginormous. Uh, 2019 sales revenue. We're talking 260 billion with a B, capital B dollars. So when you're doing 260 billion dollars, you know I call that fu money. They can pretty much do anything they want. Like they have so much cash, they don't know what to do with it. I mean, they're you know can buy companies. They have just they're stockpiling. But that's what happens when you have a product um, that's so sticky. Um, they have over 130,000 um, employees. That was as of 2019. And a big component of that is their stores with those 500 stores all around the world. Um, so it's a pretty, I mean, it's a pretty vast, I mean, 44 years, we're talking a lot of things have happened here. Um, so looking at some of the history, you know, that we're, we're going to go through, you're going to hear some of the ups and downs. Um, but, you know, my, my goal with this is, really introduce you to um, Steve Jobs and I'm going to give you just a, a little introduction today. And this one quote, this is from one of their famous uh, commercials. It's when they launched the Think Different campaign in 1997. And 1997 was a critical year because that's when um, Steve actually came back to the company. Like he got kicked out of his own company and the company was on the verge of bankruptcy. They bring him back into the company to turn things around. And he comes out with this, you know, think differently commercial and starts his campaign. And the book in the beginning here, it opens with one of those quotes. It says, the people who are crazy enough to think they can change the world are the ones who do. And that's always been like that commercial's awesome. You can look on YouTube and watch it. But I've always like, I mean, that commercial, ever since I heard it, I've always like that concept of, yeah, like you have to be, if you want to build something significant and you want to change the world and you want to change anything in your life, um, you have to think differently. 
And sometimes people are going to think, well, you know, that sounds crazy. That idea is never going to work. Um, that's like, why are you even wanting to try to do that? You're going to have all those naysayers and people that are going to doubt. Uh, but that's their job. They're doubters. Let them do their job. Let them doubt you. Let them question you. Let them uh, let them not let them think you're crazy because those are the people that will actually change the world. The ones who are crazy enough to think they can do something are often the ones that are able to do it. So that's a little bit on um, on the intro, that very first one. So as we get into this book, and again, Walter Isaacson, the book is called Steve Jobs. You know, when you um, when you're looking for it, I mean, you'll see the the image. What I want to do, the way I'm going to kind of break this down, is give you some of the um, some of the highlights from the chapters. I mean, it's a pretty big book. I mean, there's a lot. You're talking 500, uh, well, almost 600 pages, um, but it's broken down into like childhood. It goes into um, after childhood. You know, there's um, there's kind of moving into him being uh, growing up and then being connected up with his, his buddy Steve Wozniak and where they start. But the childhood part I think is interesting. We're going to start there because that actually comes back up later on. So starting with this first chapter, we're going to read from, it's called Childhood, Abandoned and Chosen, The Adoption. When Paul Jobs was mustered out of the Coast Guard after World War II, he made a wager with his crewmates. They had arrived in San Francisco where their ship was decommissioned and Paul bet that he would find himself a wife within two weeks. He was taught, tattooed, engine mechanic, six feet tall, with a passing resemblance to James Dean. But it wasn't his looks that got him a date with Clara Hagopian, a sweet-humored daughter of Armenian immigrants. It was the fact that that he and his friends had a car, unlike the group she had originally planned to go out with that evening. Ten days later, in March 1946, Paul got engaged to Clara and won his wager. It would turn out to be a happy marriage, one that lasted until death parted them more than 40 years later. Paul Reinhold Jobs had been raised on a dairy farm in Germantown, Wisconsin. Even though his father was an alcoholic, and sometimes abusive, Paul ended up with a gentle and calm disposition under his leathery exterior. After dropping out of high school, he wandered through the Midwest picking up work as a mechanic until at age 19, he joined the Coast Guard, even though he didn't know how to swim. He was deployed on the USS General M.C. Meigs and spent much of the war ferrying troops to Italy for General Patton. His talent as a machinist and fireman earned him commendations, but he occasionally found himself in minor trouble and never rose above the rank of seaman. Clara was born in New Jersey, where her parents had landed after fleeing the Turks in Armenia, and they moved to the Mission District of San Francisco when she was a child. She had a secret that she rarely, rarely, rarely mentioned to anyone. She had been married before, but her husband had been killed in the war. So when she met Paul Jobs on that first date, she was primed to start a new life. Like many who lived through the war, 
they had experienced enough excitement that when it was over, they desired simply to settle down, raise a family, and lead a less eventful life. They had little money, so they moved to Wisconsin and lived with Paul's parents for a few years, then headed for Indiana, where he got a job as a machinist for International Harvester. His passion was tinkering with old cars, and he made money in his spare time buying, restoring, and selling them. Eventually, he quit his day job to become a full-time used car salesman. Clara, however, loved San Francisco, and in 1952, she convinced her husband to move back there. They got an apartment in the Sunset District facing the Pacific, just south of Golden Gate Park, and he took a job working for a finance company as a repo man, picking the locks of cars whose owners hadn't paid their loans and repossessing them. I know a little bit about that. He also bought, repaired, and sold some of the cars, making a decent enough living in the process. There was, however, something missing in their lives. They wanted children, but Clara had suffered an ectopic pregnancy in which the fertilized egg was implanted in a fallopian tube rather than the uterus, and she had been unable to have any. So by 1955, after nine years of marriage, they were looking to adopt a child. Like Paul Jobs, Joanne Schiebel was from a rural Wisconsin family of German heritage. Her father, Arthur Schiebel, had immigrated to the outskirts of Green Bay, and he and his wife owned a mink farm and dabbled successfully in various other businesses, including real estate and photo engraving. He was very strict, especially regarding his daughter's relationships, and he had strongly disapproved of her first love, an artist who was not a Catholic. Thus, it was no surprise that he threatened to cut Joanne off completely when, as a graduate student at the University of Wisconsin, she fell in love with Abdul Fattah, John, John Dali, a Muslim teaching assistant from Syria. John Dali was the youngest of nine children in a prominent Syrian family. His father owned oil refineries and multiple other businesses with large holdings in Damascus and homes, and at one point pretty much controlled the price of wheat in the region. His mother, he later said, was a traditional Muslim woman who was a conservative, obedient housewife. Like the Shebel family, the Jandalis put a premium on education. Abdul Fattah was sent to a Jesuit boarding school even though he was a Muslim, and he got an undergraduate degree at the American University in Beirut before entering the University of Wisconsin to pursue a doctoral, doctoral degree in political science. In the summer of 1954, Joanne went with Abdul Fattah to Syria. They spent two months in homes where she learned from his family to cook Syrian dishes. When they returned to Wisconsin, she discovered that she was pregnant. They were both 23, but they had decided not to get married. Her father was dying at the time, and he had threatened to disown her if she wed Abdul Fattah. Nor was abortion an easy option in a small Catholic community. So in early 1955, Joanne traveled to San Francisco, where she was taken into the care of a kindly doctor who sheltered unwed mothers, delivered their babies, and quietly arranged closed adoptions. 
Joanne had one requirement. Her child must be adopted by college graduates. So the doctor arranged for the baby to be placed with a lawyer and his wife. But when a boy was born on February 24, 1955, the designated couple decided that they wanted a girl and backed out. Thus it was that the boy became the son not of a lawyer but of a high school dropout with a passion for mechanics and his salt-of-the-earth wife who is working as a bookkeeper. Paul and Clara named their new baby Stephen Paul Jobs. When Joanne found out that her baby had been placed with a couple who had not even graduated from high school, she refused to sign the adoption papers. The standoff lasted weeks, even after the baby had settled into the Jobs household. Eventually, Joanne relented with the stipulation that the couple promise, indeed sign a pledge, to fund a savings account to pay for the boy's college education. There was another reason that Joanne was bulky about signing the adoption papers. Her father was about to die and she planned to marry Jandali soon after. She held out hope she would later tell family members, sometimes tearing up at the memory that once they were married, she could get their baby boy back. Arthur Schiebel died in August 1955 after the adoption was finalized. Just after Christmas that year, Joanne and Abdul Fattah were married in St. Philip the Apostle Catholic Church in Green Bay. He got his PhD in international politics the next year, and then they had another child, a girl named Mona. After she and John Dolly divorced in 1962, Joanne embarked on a dreamy and peripatetic life that her daughter, who grew up to become the acclaimed novelist Mona Simpson, would capture in her book, Anywhere But Here. Because Steve's adoption had been closed, it would be 20 years before they would all find each other. Steve Jobs knew from an early age that he was adopted. My parents were very open with me about that, he recalled. He had a vivid memory of sitting on the lawn of his house when he was six or seven years old, telling the girl who lived across the street. So does that mean your real parents didn't want you? The girl asked. Lightning bolts went off in my head, according to Jobs. I remember running into the house crying and my parents said, no, you have to understand. They were very serious and looked me straight in the eye. They said, we specifically picked you out. Both of my parents said that they had repeated that and repeated it slowly for me. And they put an emphasis on every word in that sentence. Abandoned, chosen, special. Those concepts became part of who Jobs was and how he regarded himself. His closest friends think that the knowledge that he was given at birth left some scars. I think his desire for complete control of whatever he makes derives directly from his personality and the fact that he was abandoned at birth, said one longtime colleague, Del Yoakum. He wants to control his environment, and he sees the product as an extension of himself. Greg Calhoun, who became close to Jobs right after college, saw another effect. Steve talked to me a lot about being abandoned and the pain that caused. He said, it made him dependent, independent. 
He followed the beat of a different drummer, and that came from being in a different world than he was born into. Later in life, when he was the same age his biological father had been when he abandoned him, Jobs would father and abandon a child of his own. He eventually took responsibility for her. Chrisanne Brennan, the mother of that child, said that being put up for adoption left Jobs full of broken glass, and it helps to explain some of his behavior. He who is abandoned is an abandoner, she said. Andy Hertzfield, who worked with Jobs at Apple in the early 80s, is among the few who remained close to both Brennan and Jobs. The key question about Steve is why he can't control himself at times from being so reflexively cruel and harmful to some people, he said. That goes back to being abandoned at birth. The real underlying problem was the theme of abandonment in Steve's life. Jobs dismissed this. There's some notion that because I was abandoned, I worked very hard so I could do well and make my parents wish they had me back or some such nonsense, but that's ridiculous he insisted. Knowing I was adopted may have made me feel more independent, but I have never felt abandoned. I've always felt special. My parents made me feel special. He would later bristle whenever anyone referred to Paul and Claire Jobs as his adoptive parents or implied that they were not his real parents. They were my parents 1000%, he said. When speaking about his biological parents, on the other hand, he was curt. They were my sperm and egg bank. That's not harsh. It's just the way it was. A sperm bank thing. Nothing more. End quote. So that's the beginning of a young Steve Jobs life being adopted. Um, having those kind of, those few words, you know, abandoned, special, and chosen and it all depends how you look at it. And you guys can, you know, kind of hear in that and, and the way that that was described is being um, one person could look at, at a glass half full. The other person can look at it half empty. It's all about perspective. And at, even at an early age, I mean, his parents, there was that doubt when he was kind of, you know, talking to his friend across the street where it's like, oh, he, you know, abandoned. And he was really emotional about that. And his parents just reinforcing and reinstilling, no, you were chosen. Um, and, and reinforcing that he is special um, to help build that self-esteem back, to help build that confidence back, um, and to really help change his perspective. And a lot of times for, for all of us, you know, we have to look at things a little bit differently. You know, the saying we have around Paul Mitchell is we say, uh, if you change the way you look at things, things you look at change. So it really comes down to perspective. Um, so that's a little bit of the beginning of Steve Jobs' life. And that's where we're going to stop for today. And then we'll get into some of the, the early days in Silicon Valley, as it's known, out there in San Francisco, um, and how it all started. You know, how did this, you know, abandoned, chosen, special kid be, become this visionary, uh, game-changing developer of some of the most sophisticated and important computer technology in the world. Um, so we'll pick back up on that on the next episode of Story Times. I just want to thank you guys for being here. Thanks for hanging out. Um, hopefully, you know, if you felt ever felt, you know, like you uh, were a little bit lost, you know, think about young Steve. 
I mean, that's kind of where he was. Um, we've all been there, you know, where we're not sure what's going to happen or if we fit in or if we belong. And just think about perspective. Perspective is everything. And hopefully you guys have an amazing rest of your day as we get this week rolling. I'm looking forward to coming back tomorrow morning for another episode of Storytime. Tell a friend, tell a phone, tell someone you love, bring somebody with you, invite them. Uh, share this post, share this stream um, with your people. And we're going to be digging into more Steve Jobs, um, Apple, the company, stories about Steve, early life, early technology, and a lot of really rich, rich, rich history as we continue to read Steve Jobs by Walter Isaacson. So I'm excited to have you guys back tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, thanks for watching wherever you're watching from, whether you're watching on Facebook, whether you're tuned in on Instagram, whether you're catching a replay, if you're listening to the live broadcast on Twitter or the podcast, however you're consuming this. Uh, thanks for being here, guys, and I will see you on the next episode of Storytime. Hey guys, Sunny D here again. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. Pretty interesting things to learn about when it comes to Steve Jobs and those uh, those words about being abandoned, being special, being chosen, and that perspective. So just keep that in mind as you're looking at different events that have occurred, um, whether they're right now happening to you in this crazy time we're in, whether there are things that have occurred in your past, uh, whether they're things that you've thought about. Your perspective is everything and the way that Steve was able to navigate that experience being young as an adopted child and then having his parents reinforcing the fact that he was a chosen child and he was a special child really I think has a profound had a profound impact on what happens next which we'll get into on the next episode so hopefully you guys will be back for that I'm excited to continue this exploration of Steve Jobs and learn a lot more about um, this creator visionary and someone that I've looked up to uh, my entire business career, my entire adult you know, life is the first time I found out about him. Um, I've consumed, read, watched everything I could find on Steve Jobs, just really inspiring. So hopefully you guys will continue and be just as inspired as I am. So thanks for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. For all episodes, you can go to yfyipodcast.com. Love for you to share this podcast, write it, do a little review, leave a rating, write in, give me some comments, feedback, um, help the podcast get discovered so we can continue to inspire other people that may be out there uh, looking for uh, a little nudge. So thanks again for tuning in to the YFYI podcast. Remember, this is the place where you come to learn how to build your business right once or else you will be doomed to have to build it again. Thanks for listening and I'll talk to you soon.